Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes, and on today's episode, Rothy's president and COO, Carrie Cooper, discussed transitioning from a traditional retail background to a DTC brand, owning the entire supply chain, and the transformation of the relationship between brand and customer. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, Carrie. Hi, good morning. So, can you explain... Rothy's Roots, how you got involved. You didn't have a retail background before joining the brand. Is that right? Or, or did you? I had deep retail. So deep I spent, retail. Yeah, I joined Levi's in 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at Levi's for six years. Um, and I ended up running the Rothy, I'm sorry, the Rothy's, the Dockers. Uh, I launched Dockers.com in 07. Um, and I ran the planning for the wholesale side of the business. And I launched stores for, for Dockers. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined Walmart in 2008 um, at first running strategy and business development for Walmart.com and then became CMO of Walmart.com. Um, and had a global role there. So my, like, you know, sort of every year at Walmart, it was a slightly different job. Um, and then I moved to ModCloth in mm-hmm. 2010, started COO, or CMO, became COO shortly thereafter. Before um, ModCloth became a Walmart brand. Yeah, in the in the weird full circle that <laughs> yeah. that was. Yeah, so that was like the fun growth years of building that brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I took a little bit of a right-hand turn, um, thinking sort of, I love retail and selling energy is like selling um, everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you could, if I could convince a consumer that um, you know a latte a month would go green and you could consumerize energy, you could change the grid. Um, so we, um, I was CEO of a company called Choose Energy that um, sort of like as Expedia is to travel, we were to energy mm-hmm. or are to energy. Um, and that was a two and a half years in um, exit in early 2017 and then sort of thinking about what do I want to do when I grow up and where do I want to be. Um, so I joined... I joined first as a consultant for Rothy's um, when I met Roth and Steven in October of twenty. Gosh, I get my years like 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeremy Liu had invested from Lightspeed, had invested in, um, in Rothy's, and I met him through raising money at ModCloth. So nice. in the small world of how things come back together. Right. Um, and Roth and Steven have, you know, such complementary skills to me. Like, they haven't come from retail, but they've each come from their own unique backgrounds. And so part of that consulting was, like, let's figure out how we would work together and what does that look like. And mm-hmm. I joined the company full-time in February. Mm-hmm. So what was it like joining a, a, a company that was, you know, essentially a startup and had raised funding versus, you know, looking back at, at Levi's and, you know, the brands that have barely big budgets and, and big operations to kind of sift through and work through? Um, how would you compare those experiences? It's really different when, you know, I think going from Fortune 1 to anything is small. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um at Walmart, you have 150 million people going through the store every week. You have such reach. You can build billion-dollar brands and businesses quickly. Um, and there are a lot of constraints, and there's a lot less feeling of ownership. Um, because in order to get anything done, it's kind of like, you know, you have to get so many different entities involved and engaged in following you. Right. Um, where at a startup, it's yours. And it's making you know, decisions. Yeah, so sometimes, like, I think people worry that the work is the work is very different, like less about influence and more about strategy and where do we want to go and getting it done. Mm-hmm. Um, Mockloth was very similar state to where Rothy's was when I joined. Um, and I think Roth and Stephen did an amazing job of building a team. They started with a lot of contractors. They were really very um, 
deliberate about all the choices that they were making, and they didn't raise a lot of money and went to go. You know, I think there is a little bit of the let's go raise as much as we can and go mm-hmm. see what we can do. They've self funded it for four and a half years um, and spent a lot of time on R and D, which is very different background. And so right. my role at Rothy's is quite different of like, they've already spent the time getting a product that is amazing. And how do we scale it versus do we have product market fit? What does that look like? How do we go who, figure out who our customer is? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure having that, that self-funded uh, roots to, to start the brand changes the trajectory. Uh, how, whenever you came in and, and were kind of assessing like, okay, where, like you said, there's, there's clearly a customer for this product. They spent a lot of time on it. And, you know, where, what was like on the roadmap ahead for you in order to, to scale the brand, especially because, you know, so much about like attention is pay, paid to how fast these brands can grow, mm-hmm. but it, they're consumer brands at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably, um, there's probably a few steps. So one is like scaling the team. So how do you build the right culture? How do you build the right, um, place where people want to come work and mm-hmm. want to help build the brand, right? Cause, um, you can't do this yourself. You have to hire the right people that are excited and curious and want to go blaze new paths. So I think first and foremost, it's been focusing on getting and building the right team. I think, um, we have a luxury of a test and learn in, in all direct consumer companies, but like figuring out what works and being thoughtful about, and you know, about what do we want to go try? How much are we going to go spend? What is that going to look like? And really getting smarter and smarter every day about what is it that, that she's looking for, what, what, what resonates, what doesn't resonate. Mm -hmm. And then I think, um, you know, we started with two shoes when I was there, you know, so I joined, we had the flat and the point. We didn't, that was it. So we, then we opened a retail store in May. Um, we, you know, we continued, we really launched the loafer the following, um, March. We've launched kids that following July. So we continue to expand the, the, um, the offering as well. And Mm -hmm. that has been like a nice challenge of like, how do we scale the supply side in our supply chain? Mm -hmm. Um, which is kind of one of the key differentiators I think Rothy's has. Right, and and thinking about the the product roadmap and and where the customer wants, it's it's I'm sure it's very different whenever you have that direct line to customer data and you can incorporate the feedback that you're hearing from customers, whether that's on, you know, shape or or you know, you guys recently launched kids or you know or even just like a new pattern. How does that incorporate into the decision making process, especially from the the business side of it? Um, I'm sure if you were to listen. Surely to customer feedback, you could go in a million different directions, mm-hmm. but eventually someone has to come in and make that decision. <laughs> so I think we started from like one great shoe, like mm-hmm. it's the flat, the point, the loafer, and it's not going to change, right? So once you find your fit, you know it's yours and like, here's what I want it to be. And then we can play with color and pattern in really fun ways. So I think black tends to be like the the first drug that you try when you're like, I'm going to try this one. Um, black is our number one selling color. Um, and then once you figure out like, oh, this is great, then you're like figure out a pop of color on your foot is an interesting, you know, it's mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I think we've been all conditioned to black and brown is like, here's my choices and shoes and maybe, you know, white if I'm thinking about a sneaker, but there's, there's not much more than that. And right. so thinking about like, what does a bright yellow look like on my foot or what is, you know, a fluorescent pink look like is sort of a fun path of how you dress and like really thinking differently about how you build your, build your shoe wardrobe and your uh, wardrobe that goes with it. So I think, um, last year we probably launched, I don't know the exact number. I think we had nine different drops of colors where we're, you know, sort of here's the collections we're dropping. And I think this year we're more than double that. So we're launching about a collection a month or maybe a little bit more frequent than that. Mm-hmm. We'll launch small amounts and see what respond, what she responds to. That's the advantage of owning everything kind of end to end. Um, I can do constant iteration on product development so we can look and see, you know, we, we draw a CAD in San Francisco. We knit it in China have it back the next day to go look at like, well, I didn't expect it to look like that. Sometimes when you think it looks really pretty on paper, when you see it in real life, you're like, 
no, that didn't work, or the right. inside's actually prettier than the outside, mm-hmm. or, you know, working our way through how does that happen. Um, and then we'll launch and see. So we launch on a Tuesday. By the next Thursday, I can have it back in stock. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd rather focus on, like, in part of sustainability for us is, like, you're not making big bets and gambles in advance that you might end up with waste in the end of the system. This is a, I'd rather be potentially stocked out and missing a sale than making it excess that we have to figure out how to discard. Right. Because then you have that desirability factor. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about the advantages of of owning that, um, you know, end to end supply chain and, and that process? Because it seems like a, a trend we're seeing across a, a lot of young e commerce brands that, you know, I'm sure the easier way out is to outsource and and partner. And the the idea that you can own your your supply chain seems like mm-hmm. reserved for you know the the higher ups, the the much mm-hmm. larger brands. Um, making that investment early on, how does that pay off for for Rothy's? Yeah, it, I. It's kind of unheard of, like in the shoe or industry, to own your own factory. There's just right. the land of contract manufacturing, and I think um, Roth spent almost two years going back and forth to China to figure out how to get this to work and how to make 3D knitting happen. Which you know we're using sweater machines to make shoes. Mm-hmm. Like how do we get the the knit to happen the right way? Um, and we started with two knitting machines. And I think we're at 150 that are running 22 hours a day now. So watching that scale has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, we started in the corner of the factory we're in, and now we have six floors, and it's 150,000 square feet and 450 employees. Um, so that is a that, – that ability of, you know, how do you balance supply and demand and how do you bring them up gives us so much more flexibility as supply grows so we can make demand grow. And we're not trying to make bets well in advance or miss out on things too far either, right? right. So I think if you're using contract manufacturing, you just add this extra lead time on of how long does it take to get you back in stock. How You know, if I want to make adjustments to the fit, it's a long, long process versus we can change it every – you know, as we're doing product development, um, we can we can iterate every day until we get something we really like and we can mm-hmm. we can do a lot more testing and learning and making the entire production line more efficient as well. Like we continue like I think my first visit was in June and by the time I went back in September, like they had already cut more out of the system of like how do we make this more efficient? Mm-hmm. And that kind of focus on how do we keep building and getting better and smarter about it is something that you only have when you control yourself versus asking that of somebody else. Because it's going to happen naturally, right? But I don't know if you as a brand benefit or can push as much as you want to unless you own it. Right. And and having that factory in China has basically opened up the, the inroad to selling in China. Do you want to talk a little bit about that that expansion? and? Mm-hmm. I think it's it's a big milestone for for a young brand. I think a lot of times you're you're in the weeds thinking about it, and the U.S. can feel like like the whole world. But there's such a, a you know many more customers out there. Well, it's funny. I think um, you know we're less than ten percent share in the United States. So we still have a lot in front of us here. Like right. we're you know like there's the land of opportunity. But I think she's the same woman in Shanghai as she is in San Francisco as she is in London, mm-hmm. um, and being in China, you see it and breathe it and live it every day of like, there is a massive market here. It's a lot, you know, it's two and a half times the size of the U.S. market. Everything about China is different. You know, it's dominated by the WeChats and Alibaba's um, mm-hmm. versus like a Facebook or a Google. So it's the same, same issue, different, different people, different players. So right. you have to adapt to who, you know, it's the same shoe and the same customer, but you just adapt to how you market it and how you're going to build that brand. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we launched, we built a team starting, I think last June, we launched on WeChat first. Um, we have a WeChat mini program and then we'll launch on Tmall at the end of May. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it's slow and steady is going to win the day on what it, what's going to take for us to make sure that we're getting our brand built the way we built it here, which is mostly by word of mouth and not a massive, let's go, let's go invest in, you know, losing a lot of money on marketing to go build a brand. I think it's going to be a, this is a shoe that like you're going to continue to build 
in offices in Shanghai and you know offices in Beijing on the street where you see it and you're like oh what's that shoe because that's that's the way we built our brand here and I think it's the same thing there just a different different channels right and so that, that's interesting so the the temptation or the the ability to spend a lot to essentially buy customers through marketing exists in in China in the sure. exact same way it's just a, yeah different different people with uh, that you know you'd be spending with so so to, to discuss you know back back here how have you guys played with with Facebook and Google to you know ha- sort of complement that that word of mouth growth and because I'm sure you know once you start to like turn the faucet essentially you're like oh wait like I could see how this can become mm-hmm. pretty addicting <laughs> and it's, it's a slippery slope though. Well, I think um, a couple things. So word of mouth is still our largest channel, um, and I want that to live forever that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have the advantage of a distinctive-looking product that people will stop and ask you on the street, or oh, those Rothys, you see them, and they're visually different than a Glossier lip gloss or right. a you know a lotion that you would never ask somebody about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have that advantage. I think... Um, you know, people will tease me about like, you know, you've, you're stalking me on Facebook. Um, I know who our customer is and the ability with all of that data to figure out who she is and what's important to her and whether she sees an Insta ad five times and then decides she's going to ask somebody about it or whether it's on the first purchase or the first time she sees it that she clicks through. Mm-hmm. I think marketing has really shifted from this direct response last click model to how do you build a brand and how do you make sure that you're building awareness, whether you're sort of at the beginning of I've never heard of Rothy's to I'm ready to go by. And I think being thoughtful about what that whole funnel looks like right. is important. Right. And so is, is our Facebook and Instagram your most effective channels for for paid marketing when it comes down to that? Um, or have you been experimenting with any other ones? Um, as you know, I think as we've seen, like, brands start to realize like, oh, we can exist in Real life, like right. and out of home and, right. and, and TV and direct mail. Like, how have you sort of spread the roots after uh, um, launching with like, yeah. the Facebook and Instagram strategy? So, um, they continue to be our largest channel. Um, I should have also started with everything we want to do is profitable on first transaction. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not a believer in, well, I'll go spend $500 because she'll come back and buy three. Like, I think you have to be profitable the first time. Right. Um, it continues to be a channel we optimize and get smarter about. So mm-hmm. Facebook and Insta will continue to be important to me. And, but and I don't overall, only want to be Facebook Insta, right? right? I think in the world of like, okay, we've got some security issues or whatever it might be, right? Of like, you know, people quit using Facebook, then you're kind of left, you know, left yeah. hanging. Right. You see that so we continue to diversify. Yeah. Companies. So we continue to diversify. Like it's working, by the way. Like Facebook and Insta haven't fallen off with some of the issues Facebook has had. Mm-hmm. Um, but. With that, um, Pinterest has been great for us. Like Pinterest is an interesting, you know, where she's she's getting inspiration in lots of ways. And how do you, you know, how do you get her there? Um, I think we just launched TV mid May or mid March, mm-hmm. um, and that has been interesting to watch and see. Um, like you have with connected TVs, and you know, I can see like you know, here's when the t- here's when the the ad showed, and here's the traffic it drove. Mm-hmm. And whether again, like she's sitting on the couch and she pulls out her iPad and goes onto Rothy's, or whether it's that she saw the ad and she goes back eight hours later, whatever. It doesn't matter to me as much. I think all of those things kind of all you know, rising tides lifts all boats. Right. As long as it's profitable at the end of the day. Right. And so I feel like attribution is gets gets messier the, mm-hmm. the more places that you're advertising. How do you how do you go about connecting the dots to what what is working and where the best places to spend, especially if, if you're laser focused on profitability? Yeah, I have an amazing data team um, that we're spending a lot of time and energy on. How do we look at who that customer is and where is she buying and what, what's working? Mm-hmm. Um, my growth team is probably, you know, we're not a huge team, but it's probably six people, eight people. Um, and we're focused, kind of laser focused on what does that look like and how do we get smarter every day about what's driving her in and, um, and what, what works, what doesn't work. Um, at the end, I'm going to hold my head of growth to 
you know, are you profitable overall? Mm -hmm. And then we have to look at like, okay, you know, like the old adage of like, you know, half your marketing budget's wasted and, you know, if you only knew which half you would, you know, that's what we're focused on is where can we spend more effectively. Right. So Rothy's is profitable overall. Mm -hmm. And I think the most recent like number that was out there, you guys had surpassed the hundred million mark. It was Mm -hmm. 140 million in Mm -hmm. annual revenue. That's obviously a big deal. Uh, And I think that that post hundred million dollar hump is is going to be really interesting to watch. And so how do you think about distribution channels? Um, I I think we've heard a lot of ways that brands um, that are coming from a similar position, like digitally native brands are thinking like, okay, I'm going to spend on Facebook and Instagram. Um, They're essentially kind of like a, like a, like a middleman. um, And I could use like a Nordstrom as a similar marketing strategy outlet, uh, drive sales at the same time. Um, where I could open my own store. Like, how do you how do you uh, weigh those options when it comes to expanding where people can actually find and feel and, and buy Rothy's? It's a good question. I think um, we love knowing our. Cons- I know I know every woman who's bought a pair of Rothy's. Like I know, love knowing who she is and what's important to her and getting that feedback quickly. We operate at a, at a speed that is very fast and wholesale can be really challenging because they operate at much longer lead times and much slower and that feedback. So right. if you were thinking about a Nordstrom, data. it would be an interesting customer acquisition vehicle. But then you also have to assume that like you actually are acquiring her for Rothy's versus acquiring her through Nordstrom. Mm-hmm. Nordstrom is an interesting channel. I don't think right now, given where we are in trying to scale, um, I want to keep focusing on our own brand. Right. So I do think stores are interesting. I think um, as you look across a lot of DTC brands, they have been looking at how do we do stores well. And I think, you know, we look at Warby Parker and what they've done is impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have a lot of opportunity to really build, you know, an in-presence, in-real-life um, experience for customers to come try on shoes. Like getting the fit right's hard. You know, mm-hmm. so there's a little bit of a, am I an eight or am I an eight and a half and how do I do that well that we can do in, in real life? That's great. You know, and then there's also, you know, in a store you see a bright yellow and, or, you know, a bright blue and you're like, oh, that's really pretty. I wouldn't have thought about that. So getting that chance to think about how do you outfit and what does that look like is fun. You know, it's a fun shopping experience. Right. And and tell us, what, what have you guys done anything um, with physical stores up till now? Or We have one store in Fillmore in uh-huh. San Francisco. Um, we opened it last May, and we are looking at expanding this year. We'll probably open five, seven this year. Right. That's like the DTC strip in, in San mm. Francisco. <laughs> well, we're, it's funny. we're actually a little north of it. We have this cute little, it was a cobbler store for 50 years. Um, Ed ran the store, and mm. then when he passed away, we took it over. We restored his sign. Where um, kind of the core part of Fillmore is probably like Pine to Sacramento, and we're a couple blocks north of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't matter. People, nice. yeah, you know, like I want to be part yeah. of the neighborhood, right? right? Like that's part of what life should be is mm-hmm. like not trying to build a, a giant store to build a brand and a marketing vehicle only. It's also like how do you meet your community where she is, right? And and so you mentioned, um, you know, when you're expanding in China, you built a team there. I'm assuming, you know, if, if you're looking into physical retail. Yeah, like you said, it goes back to hiring. Like, how do you how do you think about the type of talent that that Rothy's needs to get to that the next phase and then the next phase? Like you, especially having having a retail background mm-hmm. um, at companies like Walmart and Levi's, uh, you know, what do you what do you look for? Um, you know, we had uh, the the CEO of Moda Operandi on here, and he came from Tesla. Like, it's mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of interest right now in in new retail. So, you know, who are you? Like, what type of people are you seeking out for the team? say so it's probably two answers. One, which is what do you want to build at home office? And one, which is what do you want to build to, to, for stores? Mm-hmm. I think for home office, um, you know, a lot of what we're doing is new trails that haven't been blazed. And so curious and hungry people who want to go figure it out or what we're looking for. Right. I don't um, I think in some cases having 
someone who's built and done that before is useful, right? So my head of acquisition came, you know, she built Zola early on and was at Harry's and she's young and hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, and But that background's useful, right? Because she understands the nuances of how the acquisition channels work. Right. Same with email. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we are only hiring people who have never done this before, but like, but I'm okay hiring people who haven't done it before as long as they're curious and hungry and can learn quickly because mm-hmm. a lot of this hasn't been done before either. On the retail front, I think, um, you know, selling shoes is hard. Like you're on your you're on your knees a lot. You're helping women see shoes. Like, you know, people who are very, you know, warm and open and, and customer service front, you know, mm-hmm. driven is important. Right. And overall, uh, yeah, I think that the the general consensus is that it doesn't exactly matter where you encounter the brand as long as you have a really great experience. How do you make sure that, you know, regardless of whether they come to the San Francisco store or they, you know, see the brand on, on Facebook and then end up on the site or, you know, hear from a friend and go to the site itself that like it's really high touch, like in making sure that, you know, the online growth is is as much as it can be because like there's no like slipping up in the entire process. We're so far from perfect. I think there's, you know, lots of times where we've had, you know, shipping delays and customer service issues like it's you know Roth has this analogy I love of bringing all the dimmer switches up at the same time and Mm -hmm. so supply goes up and then how do you get demand and customer service to go up at the same time and um, we just launched SAP um, as a backbone and it has been bumpy right Mm -hmm. so our customers have been frustrated right now so like there's like ups and downs that we all go through I think more than anything it's that can sort of focus on you know are you having a good experience and we'll follow up with every customer on you know what's working what's not working how do we do better we look at NPS scores you know pretty obsessively right our NPS score is really high Um, it's important I mean like the beauty of being such a socially driven brand is she tells you every day what she likes and doesn't like so it's not there's nothing that we're like oh, I wish somebody had told us. Like, they're telling you as long as you listen. Right. And so when you think of, when you're weighing the two, how do you consider product versus brand? Uh, what what has to come first? What is there one that you sort of see as being ultimately more important than the other? Or is it, you know, how do you, it all depends mm-hmm. on where the customer comes in. How do you think about those two? Well, I don't know that they're separable. I think, um, you know, we built this amazing shoe. And when I when I joined, I think the question was, like, are we going to focus on it's a beautiful shoe and stylish? Are we going to focus on comfort because the shoe is incredibly comfortable? Are we going to focus on sustainability and that it's made from recycled water bottles and machine washable? Like, mm-hmm. what's the right message? Right. And yes is the answer, right? It's all three of them. Like, I think for some women it is. Like I gave a speech um, a couple weeks ago and somebody followed, came up with, like, I think I had five people come up to me and tell me they had no idea they were made from recycled water bottles. Like, so we've done something wrong there, mm-hmm. right? But I think mostly it's like you build a great product and then the brand comes with it because that is the, they are sort of in, you know inextricably linked of mm-hmm. what they are. When we were looking at TV advertising, I think um, I really hate direct response TV where you're like you know buy now, buy now here you know visit Rothys.com. Right. Um, and so our TV ads are not that they're very much more brand driven. But like again, they're about like you know something spills on your shoe at a party and washing it. It's um, it is like you know the green part of being sustainable and coming you know coming from a sustainable um, lens but they're beautiful shoes. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you hear from from customers, like you said, there's a lot of different messaging that that, that you could encounter them with. and when you think about like where the brand can can grow from here, uh, like how do you consider the 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 lane that that Rothy's is in? Um, you know, because you hear from a brand like Bombas, they started with socks, now they're making T-shirts because they're mm-hmm. a comfort brand. Like there always seems to be like a higher higher calling that that these brands want to spin out because being a a single product brand puts you in a, a bit of a box. How do mm-hmm. you how do you look at the the path ahead for for Rothy's in terms of the product categories that that you could go into and where the customer would give you permission to do so? 
I think it's a lifestyle brand where people are knowing and expecting that, A, we know who she is and she is, you know, we have this great cultural zeitgeist of a woman who wants to look put together day to night from, you know, boardroom to soccer field and doesn't want to like, you know, I think we've all seen a pretty big shift in the last maybe five years or 10 years of what you expect of women and what we can go do and like, you know, that I love, right? Mm -hmm. This is who I am. This is who a 25 year old is. This is who an 80 year old is of what she is. And I think with that, we care about sustainability. It's sort of at our core. It's who we are. And I think there are a lot of ways of taking the technology and the factory that we've built um, and applying it to lots of different directions. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think as long as it's a consistent view of like, we're going to build the right product because we know you well, it'll it'll work naturally. Mm -hmm. And having those systems in place that Mm -hmm. you aren't outsourcing, I'm sure would Mm -hmm. help, would help a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, especially you having been on on the Walmart side, seeing that the attention that, uh, you know, traditional retail players are are taking in uh, a lot of the DTC brands, you know, even way farther down from the Walmart scale, even a company like Foot Locker is like, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, there's like a lot, a lot happening here. And like, you know, that's not something that we expected to hear that Foot Locker is investing in like a Carbon 38 or Rockets of Awesome. Um, Do you see like... Where do you see Rothy's standing in terms of, you know, is it, could we be, be, be more powerful together, like in a, in a kind of like a brand's group, or, or is it a brand that you see really standing on its own independently? I hope it lasts forever. Like, I hope we keep building this one for 20 more years. I think that we have, like, the land of opportunity in front of us to go build this thing. I think um, um, we can do something really unique and undone before that I love. I think um, I, I appreciate very much what Walmart is doing um, and how they're thinking about building out and who they are and what what like you know you can't just stand on four thousand stores like how do I how do I really think about who she is and servicing that differently? Right. Um, I think we you know I think we're blazing new trails that I hope we keep blazing. Mm-hmm. And so right now uh, you know we're, we're just about out of time. But what is most pressing on your on your mind right now and your in your day to day if you were to go back to the office what are you thinking about I think um you know our growth it, there's a, like an adage I love which is startups never um they never starve they just drown so like <laughs> how do you make smart choices about what's in front of us there's a lot of shiny objects out there mm-hmm. I want to get the shoe on as many women's feet as we can cuz once she tries it on she falls in love so how do I continue to build that both in the United States and then globally I think there's a huge opportunity there um and that then comes to like, what are the channels we continue to expand into? How do we build stores? How do we build more product that mm-hmm. also fits with who she is? Mm-hmm. And how do you think Rothy's is is kind of changing the relationship that customers have with brands? Uh, do you feel like we're we're kind of in in this era of, you know, rethinking that that relationship and that conversation and and you know where do you see this evolving? It's such an interesting time to think about what a brand is. Um, I think. We have this incredibly, you know, there's it's probably a small part of the customer base, but this incredibly vocal customer base that tells us every day what she likes and doesn't like and, you know, bombards our customer service with what they want to see that feel like they own the brand. And mm-hmm. I think that's such a, like, we're so blessed. Like, sometimes you have, you're like, okay, I hear you. But it's also, we're so blessed to have this person that's so passionate, they think that they can make a difference with the brand. And I, and I love that, that sense of ownership of, like, this isn't just me telling you what you want, but, like, our customers all feeling like, Again, like that's what drives word of mouth is like they love the product and they want to tell everyone about it, right? And they want to tell us about it. I think um, you know if you look at what a great brand does, it is you know it's not trying to figure out how much stuff can you fit on a shelf, which I think was the way brands were built 
probably for like you know before the before the the growth of DTC mm-hmm. of like you know what what's the packaging look like and how do I get this here and I can only make you know the core sizes of the of the size scale work like we sell every product five to twelve we're about to launch twelve and a half and thirteens like that customer like she doesn't she she wants to be you know like we're listening to her I can do it profitably I can make sure that we're thinking about who she is and what's important to her and we don't have to be. I think just only aiming at the middle of like, okay, this is who I think my customer is. Like, I know who she is and like, how do you service all of them well? Right. And, you know, it's almost thinking now it's like, oh, of course that that's the norm. But when you like you like where you started, like that, that just it, the way of branding and, and going right. about positioning a brand was, was so different. Right. Um, and yeah, do it's like, do you, from your perspective, just and how much you like, you know, like what you do, like how, how has that changed like that? you're feeling as as someone working in retail it's funny like I go into a grocery store and I get so mad about how things are labeled and packaged I'm like come on like can't you could do this better right yeah. like it's just like this is all meant to sell to the wholesale to the retail channel not to the consumer right mm-hmm. like how do you think differently about that so I think I like I have a heightened awareness of like how crummy some of the packaging is or like you know even even some of you know as we think about where we're going like everything we've done has been like how do we build it sustainably so we ship our boxes and a box can be shipped back we hate box and box because that's a waste of a box like that thinking of like okay this is important so then when i receive you know we all have amazon boxes piling Mm -hmm. up you know every time on recycling it just like we could do this better Mm -hmm. there's got to be a better way of getting some of these things to work um and amazon's doing an incredible job but it's not without a lot of waste. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it seems like an exciting time to That's be in your awesome. position. That's so awesome. thank you so much for coming in and talking about it. I thank really you enjoyed for having it. me. We hope you enjoyed the episode. A special thanks to Gianna Capadona, the producer of this podcast. As a thank you for listening, we're passing along a limited time introductory offer on a three-month subscription to Glossy Plus. Glossy Plus members access unlimited stories, exclusive research, and more. Join today for just $49. That's $80 off by entering the code intro at checkout at glossy.co slash subscribe. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have.